Hello, this is Protestia Tonight for February 23rd, 28th, excuse me, 2023. This is a program that we hope will be glorifying to God, convicting to sinners, and edifying to the saints. A program with sincere questions and biblical answers. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, the last week we've had some, um, I don't know if I would say technical difficulties, but some working on the studio, working on the setup, working on the live stream stuff that we're doing here. And to be honest with you, I don't have it all figured out quite yet. And yet we are here and we have some important things to talk about. Um, this came across the main topic for tonight. This came across the, uh, the Twitter wire, I suppose, yesterday, the day before, something like that. Um, the the cartoonist Scott Adams, who draws the Dilbert cartoon, or at least drew the Dilbert cartoon until these latest developments, uh, was uh, clipped from a like a podcast he does, I guess, and um, wound up wound up uh, saying some things that I would argue, at least on on a face, are. Um, I don't know, overtly racist. I mean, really, but, um, the interesting thing to me was that it got a lot of Christendom or, you know, Christian Twitter, whatever you want to call it, you know, self-described evangelical Christians, self-described Christians on the internet sort of split and reacting very differently to all this. And I, and I figured, Hey, this is a good chance for us to, um, just, I don't know, discuss what the Bible says about, um, this issue of racism specifically, and hopefully dig into maybe how we should think about this biblically and how we should work through it as Christians. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight on the program. Now, uh, for those of you that are not yet a part of what we're doing financially, you can certainly join if you would like to and support us for only five ninety five a month. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash protestia and uh, support us on a financial level if if you're led to. Now, of course, we always say, always say that first and foremost, before you do anything like that, uh, you should be a loving, giving, serving, faithful uh, member of your local New Testament church. And that um, that is always true. Uh, with regard to your support for this ministry. Now it's five ninety five a month is a couple of cups of coffee. So, you know, if you, if you feel so led to drop a couple of cups of coffee and instead support us, uh, please do. Now for nineteen ninety five a month, you can join us on Thursday nights. Yes, now it is Thursday nights for the Bulldogmatic Bible Study. And the Bulldogmatic Bible Study is where we um, we dig into scripture. We um, talk about uh, sort of life with, uh, with patrons and, and folks that we know from around the the country and um yeah we're we're slow walking through second corinthians right now and we would love for you to join us but you can check all that at, at protestia.com um if you want to join um the other big uh piece of information it's it's more than a piece of information really but the big thing that we do at the beginning of every program here is we we share the gospel of Jesus Christ that's the good news now what is the gospel of Jesus Christ well it's, it's the good news that um that really is an answer to the bad news that all of us were born into sin and uh, rebels against God deserving of eternal punishment apart from him. And yet God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ came into the world, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and then paid the price on the cross in our place. Jesus Christ paid the price we should have paid 
and he suffered on a death on the cross that we deserved. And um, if we place our faith, hope, and trust in him, salvation is ours as a free gift. Uh, placing our faith, trust, and hope in Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, is um, a pr- the promise of salvation is ours, of eternal life, of being reconciled to God and not facing that eternal punishment and that eternal separation from God that, that otherwise would be our fate. And that is the that that is the good news of the gospel. Now, what does that what does that look like? Well, faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ obviously um, begins with knowing who Jesus is, knowing what He's done, what you believe about Jesus. Uh, one of our the pastors at our church uh, said this. I thought was is was very apt this week and said, "What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Certainly, salvifically, it is the most important thing about you." Um, but the finer point I thought that was part of that is you need to know who the real Jesus is. Having salvation in Jesus doesn't doesn't um, doesn't mean you can make up your own Jesus, right? Doesn't mean you can have faith in whatever Jesus you want. It is the Jesus of Scripture. It is the true Christ. And how do we know the true Christ? Um, by going to God's Word and identifying who He is, and that's where we place our faith, hope, and trust. Now, Jesus died on that cross, died a horrific death in our place, um, paying the price to the Father that we owed and could never pay. Um, to make things right for our fallen nature, our sin, our rebellion against God. That's part of our nature and part of uh, what we have chosen to do. Um, he died on that cross, was buried, died and buried, and on the third day raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was described in Colossians as the firstborn of many brethren. Um, and that, that that obviously doesn't mean he's the first uh, person to raise from the dead. There were there were. Uh, uh, resurrections in the Old Testament by the power of God, for sure. But He is the preeminent. He is the He is the beginning. He is the the first um, among the brethren, and He is our great intercessor. Uh, he makes intercession on our behalf to the Father. Um, if you have any questions about what that is, what what the gospel is, uh, who Jesus is, uh, the nature of His ministry, His His. Um, his work on our behalf, his perfect life. We would love to talk to you about it. Um, send us a message anytime you want, and we will discuss that further. Um, and that's really the reason that this ministry exists. It's the reason that I know folks support what we do here. It is the reason why uh, why all of all of the news and all the things we talk about are really important. If we don't get the gospel right, if we don't know Jesus, all the other stuff is for naught. All this, all the other stuff doesn't matter at that point. Um, and so that's we will talk to you about that at any time. We will drop whatever we're doing um, if we can. Now, now, I mean, you know, those of you know, this is not the, a full time job for any of us here. It is a labor of love and a ministry. And I am um, like you, if you are a patron, a fellow patron, a fellow supporter of this ministry on a financial level. Um, special shout out to patrons here. Now, when you become a patron, not only do you get the you know, this free side of the program, which I guess everybody gets, right? The, we, we lovingly call it the freeloader portion of the program. You get that, but you also get the PT VIP, Protesty Tonight VIP, which is the other half of the program, separate link. Um, you can drive the content of the program uh, by asking questions and things like that. That is that is something that uh, that you get uh, for any any level of patronage. I don't care if you're sending us a dollar a month. We'll make sure that you get in. Um, and of course, I would, I would uh, be... Not not doing what I was supposed to do, I suppose, if I didn't um, tell you that if you want to be on the Bible study, 
and uh, you don't have $19.95 a month, send me a message anyway. We'll make sure you get in. Again, that's Thursday nights. Thursday nights at 6.30 Mountain Time. Uh, now, on to the, the issue of the day. This came across, and I'm going to pull this up for you so we can kind of all we're kind of all see what we are talking about here. Now, I do have to warn you, there is some, if I remember correctly, some salty language that's part, part of this. Um, Scott Adams is, I don't believe a Christian and, um, he seems like an intelligent guy, but seems he's a, he's a liberal, uh, elitist, I would argue, um, in terms of his disposition and what, in what he, um, what he thinks about things and what he says, but this was the, this was the clip. This was the clip from, um, Scott Adams's like podcast coffee with Scott Adams, something like that. Some, I guess the podcast he must do from his home office. And, uh, I'm going to play a little bit for you again. I apologize for the language that is sure to come. I'm sure we can all be mature enough to understand that I'm not saying it nor endorsing it. Let me see if I can get this going here. Um, sometimes when I restart the computer before we go live. I have some audio difficulty or some audio things that reset themselves. And uh, it looks, yep, it looks like uh, here, here is uh, the clip from Scott Adams. So if, if you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, you know, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the fuck. Wherever you have to go, just get away. Because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed. Right? This can't be fixed. You just have to escape. So that's what I did. I went to a neighborhood where... You know, I have a very low black population because, unfortunately, there, you know, there's a high correlation between the density. And this is according to Don Lemon, by the way. Um, so here I'm just quoting Don Lemon when, when he notes that the, when he lived in a uh, mostly black neighborhood, there were a bunch of problems that he didn't see in white neighborhoods. So even Don Lemon sees a big difference in your own quality of living based on where you live and who's there. So I, I think it makes no sense whatsoever as a uh, white citizen of America to try to help black citizens anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's no longer a rational impulse. And so I'm, I'm going uh, to back off from being helpful to black America because it doesn't seem like it pays off. Like I've been doing it all my life and I've been... The only outcome is I be, I get called a racist. That's the only outcome. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna may- pause this there. But so this this gets um sent around the internet, and um obviously you you can understand what the response would be from those on the left as they clutch their pearls and they don't really think about what he's saying or what you know the, any any context with this. They just take the statement as this is a. F- facially racist statement and um it is a facially racist statement and let me let me explain what what i mean by that 
because we have to step back anytime we're talking about these kind of things, we really have to step back and start defining our terms. This is really, really important. And most important for believers, we need to define what, how we should approach this biblically. What does the Bible say? Because there are a lot of terms and concepts and things out there that are, um, they're used in our modern culture and our modern context in a way that they're not necessarily used biblically. And of course, there are going to be terms and concepts that aren't, don't even have a specific biblical analog or a specific reference in scripture. Um, and so, but we have to, we have to interpret those terms and those ideas biblically speaking. And so that, you know, when this, when this um, clip started spreading around, I saw wildly different responses because I know that at Protestia, you know, we, we basically said, Hey, this is a, this is a facially racist thing to say. Um, and that concerns us. But again, even we have to step back and say, okay, what does it mean to be racist? What does that mean? And of course, do, does this framework even apply when, as, as Bible-believing Christians, do we even accept the world's framework for this conversation? I would argue that we don't and we shouldn't. Um, I think the most important thing to understand about this really, is when, we're, when we're talking about these kind of issues, the language itself is the battleground. The language itself is the battleground. And here's what I mean by this. When we, when we try to interpret a statement made like this, if you say something like, um, I think that white people should get away from black people or something like that. Um, and then of course people respond and say it's racist. We have to define what is, what do we mean by racist? What do we mean by white? What do we mean by black? That matters. And most importantly, what does the Bible say in reference to an issue like this? Um, we know very specifically, uh, because the Bible teaches us this, that every person comes from a common ancestor. We all come from, from our father, Adam. We inherit his sin nature. That doesn't matter if you're black, bright, brown, red, purple, whatever. Every human being made in the image of God is still bearing this sin nature because we inherited it from our father, Adam. And that knowing that that's the framework, I would argue that the Bible very clearly teaches that there isn't multiple races. There is one race. There is a human race. There are multiple um, genetic variations and ethnicities and certainly cultures and things like that, but there's one race. And so that, that should change the framework of the conversation for Christians specifically, I would argue. It's not, we too easily accept this idea um, when interacting with the culture that, that we're going to talk about racism from the culture's framework, which is that there's, you know, and, and the funny thing is like, we, we, our culture and the world, we segment races anyway. So we like, we group people by general uh, commonalities. Well, you're of European descent, you know? So, so people of German and French and, and all these other things that, well, they're similar. And then if we go over here to, to Asia, well, we, we have Chinese people and we have Japanese people and we have, um, you know, Vietnamese people and Koreans and things. We're all going to group them together. You know, Filipino, we're all going to group them together as Asians, right? And we, that's going to be a common group as far as how we try to divide people up. Of course, anybody with African descent, anybody with darker skin and African um, genetic characteristics, they get all lumped together, right? They're all just black people, Um Latinos get lumped together. I mean, this, this is how the world frames this stuff. And more, more important than that, 
the world also draws a, a, an inseparable connection between genetic makeup and genetic characteristics, uh, ethnic similarities, and culture. Now, some of this it makes sense because your culture is going to form within your local, uh, your, your part of the world, and genetic reinforcement is also going to be, make your part of the world genetically similar. That's, that, that's just normal. Um, and so that, but we have to ask ourselves, is this correlation or is this causation? And I, I think that that's being missed a little bit in this. Um, but if we, if we start by, by defining, by defining these words properly, we start by, let's, let's start with racist. What does it mean to be racist? Well, first, if we, we would have to accept the world's definition of race in order to make this a functional term for us. So what's the the world's definition of race is basically ethnicity. The way that I would argue Christians should talk about ethnicity um, and really what is genetic similarity, um, that the world calls that race. So for for the sake of this, we're going to give them that, even though I would say that's not how Christians should discuss this issue. Um, We'll give them that. We'll say, hey, okay, we're going to we're going to talk about white people versus black people for the sake of this. You know, not against each other, but in as distinct uh, groups here, because that's how that's how Scott Adams is talking about the issue. Um, let's start with that. Okay, so if we say that race, for the sake of this conversation, means ethnic differences—white people, black people, Latinos, Asian—then and then then what is racism? Well, racism, I think, used in this context, is is to mean. Um, a bias towards somebody because of their um, identity or, or presumed identity with one of this group, one of these groups. So assuming something about somebody strictly because of their ethnic and, and, and their um, um, biological, you know, their genetic differences. Oh, someone's, someone's got a different skin color than you. Someone's got a different type of hair than you do. Someone has uh, different facial features that we would identify from, you know, with certain ethnicities. And we treat that person different because of that, just because of that, that that's racism. And we, of course we're getting, we're trying to get to the point is did biblically speaking from a Christian perspective is what Scott Adams said, racist, you know, so when you, when you say something like white people should stay the blank away from black people, how is he using the term white people? What does that mean? What does he mean by black people? Um, if we're using the generally accepted definition, the culturally accepted definition of uh, people with lighter skin, European descent, Caucasians versus people of African descent uh, with darker skin and, and, and African uh, ethnic and genetic features, uh and you just say blanket, they need one group should stay away from the other. Yeah. That's a facially racist statement. It just is by the definition. Now, Scott Adams himself has argued with this, that, um, that, that racism in and of itself is not, is it cannot be assumed to be a bad thing because our culture is wildly racist. And honestly, I, I agree with this point. I I see a lot of racism in our our culture that is um seen as bad and I see a lot that is seen as good. Is any of it bad or good? Not according to the scripture. I mean if we define it as simply um presuming something about somebody or showing partiality based off of genetics, 
Uh, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. And yet in our culture, it's more complicated than that, isn't it? In our culture, because we link very closely and, and not without reason, but we link these ethnic similarities, ethnic differences, and cultural differences. We link them together. We can't necessarily say that our culture talks about white and black as just genetic differences. We talk about it in terms of an entire culture. And that's where I think that, that we need to be very careful with how we talk about this. Um, because, you know, white and black is, means more in, in our modern multi-ethnic society than just, just skin color. Um, I think that that's pretty, that, that's pretty obvious by the way that everybody talks about it, but you see liberals and things like this talk about whiteness as if it's this, this much broader thing than just somebody's skin color. And really they talk about blackness the same way they link it with culture and they say, well, these are the things that make somebody black and it's not just their genetics. I mean, you remember when Barack Obama was running for office back in, you know, 2007 and there were other, there were other, uh, um, you know, influencers in the black community that were saying he's not black enough. He's not black enough. Well, I mean, granted, genetically speaking, his mom is white. Um, but he, he's always identified as an African American as far as I can tell. And they were still saying he's not, he's, he's too white. He's not black enough. That was very much a cultural statement. Um, we see people like what's her face, uh, Rachel Doze. Dozel or whatever his last name is, who's born Caucasian, born white, and yet identified as a black person, colored her skin to, you know, I guess fool everybody and whatnot and identify that way and, and got away with that for a long time. Once people found out that she was, um, um, identifiably genetically European, that didn't work so well. But the point that I'm trying to make is that we have to talk about racism not only with respect to what the culture thinks that is, but also respect to, with respect to what we know the Bible teaches and pull back even one step further and define our terms. And I think that that's, that's being lost in this conversation. Um, because he, he would write, I mean, and this is a true, this is a true factor that I think he's pointing out a little bit. Um, black crime in this country, and this is kind con- crime committed by those that are identified of African descent is out of control. It's out of control. Um, it's out of control enough that black families with the means are getting out of, of black neighborhoods. That's, that's, that's a fact that's true. And so if, if he steps back and says white people should get away from black people and, He's basing it off of statistics and correlations and things. It's not necessarily bad advice, but it needs to be understood that this is not about um, some sort of an inherent genetic difference. It's not. Every human being is born with a sin nature. And so if we step back and say, okay, if that's true, what is causing this disparity? What is causing um, increased crime rates? Um, among blacks in the country and lower crime rates among whites, comparatively speaking. Why do we see videos on the internet all the time of young black kids um, beating up somebody in school on video, uncontrollable? What, what is causing this really? 
I mean, we know at the core that it's sin nature, but there's also social pathologies that are causing this as well. And I think that's that's probably what he's trying to get at here. If I'm if I'm trying to be generous, that's that sounds like what he's getting at, but you can't boil this down. And I would argue it's not appropriate or right to boil it down to white people need to get away from black people. Because it's not racist for a black family to also want to leave Memphis, Tennessee. And they do it, right? If they can. Now, is that is that black person racist against black people? No, they just see a problem in communities that are, you know, in violent communities. Um, the number one source of, of, you know, person on person crime and property crime against black Americans is other black Americans. And so we got to dig further. I, you know, while I might argue, I'm not the perfect person to have this conversation. We can also be objective and step back and analyze these things, uh, from a biblical and an objective perspective. And that's, you know, I want to at least dig into that a little bit. Um, the funny thing, I'm going to pull up a few. I'm going to pull up a few uh, uh, tweets and other things that kind of came up here that I found very interesting. This was a, um, I guess, a comic, a Dilbert comic from back in the day. And sort of, sort of, and this is the point that I, we're trying to get at. Um, this was, and this was actually tweeted out by, it looks like somebody on, on Twitter who's gay or transgender or something. They got all the flags, but this is the, this is the comic here. Uh, it looks like from May 2nd of last year. And the gentleman in the office of the Dilbert comics says management asked me to add some diversity to the engineering team. Meet Dave. And he points to a black guy uh, sitting next to him. And Dave says, I identify as white. He says, you're ruining everything, Dave. This, this is really important to this conversation because, again, if, if we as believers understand that there's one human race, and yes, genetic diversity, obviously, um, but then to understand that that's not really what our culture's getting at so much anymore. Um, they're getting at uh, cultural divides and um, generational uh, patterns and government interference in people's lives designed, I would argue in many ways to, um, to separate people. This is really important. I mean, Scott Adams apparently told everybody himself, he identified as black for a few years. I don't know if that's true or if he's just making the point or whatnot. Um, but especially in a multi multi ethnic country like ours, this makes all the difference in the world. Um, there is a cultural, a, a, a cultural divide, um, in predominantly black communities versus predominantly, you know, communities of other ethnicities that causes big problems for these kids. Um, I heard, and I don't know if this is still true, but, but basically a statistic that indicated that if you corrected for, if you corrected for fatherlessness, um, kids that grow up in a single parent households, but especially with no fathers, if you corrected for that, um, statistically speaking a lot. And in fact, most, if not all of the disparities between outcomes for white kids and black kids disappear. In other words, uh, black kids that grow up in committed two parent households have largely the same societal outcomes as white kids that grow up in two parent households. And the flip side is true as well. 
So white kids that grow up in single parent households with no fathers, they wind up with the same results, the same pathologies, the same um, lifelong struggles and things as, as black kids. The difference is um, the illegitimacy rate in black uh, communities is, is so much higher, so much higher. Um, and we can trace this back, I would argue, to uh, great society policies, welfare policies that, um, that the Democrat Party and LBJ targeted towards black communities for their own political power. And they said, hey, we're going to give you stuff now. The trajectory of, of black communities in this country was, was very much headed the right direction. Obviously, we still had, have our, had our issues back in the 60s and 70s, but they headed the right, it was heading the right direction until, like you said, Betty, LBJ um, decided that he, was, that, that he and his party were going to uh, become the father figure for these families. And all of a, all of a sudden, that glue, that essential, the, the essential holding together of the nuclear family in black community was, was torn apart. It's, and it's, in a lot of ways, it's torn apart in white families too. It's not, this isn't, this isn't strictly a black problem, but because the illegitimacy rate is so much higher among African-Americans, this becomes, you know, we see the pathologies more. And yeah, I mean, I guess you, you could boil it down like Scott Adams and say, well, better safe than sorry. We see the statistics. Um, granted what he's citing ain't, it's not a statistic. That's something we also take issue with. But if, even if you boil it down and say, Hey, I can look from the statistics and say in, in, in black communities, I'm more likely to be the target of a crime. I'm more likely to be mugged or, or, you know, beat up or robbed or, you know, whatever, which is true. And you want to get out on that reason. Fine. But make sure that, you know, I, I would argue we need to understand that that's not because there's some sort of a inherent genetic difference that's causing this. We're all genetically um, sinners. We are all sinners um, in, with an inherited sin nature. And there is no absolutely no biblical reason to accept or believe in some way that there are genetics between um, somebody with white skin and somebody... Um, with black skin that are going to make a difference, but there are plenty of reasons to, to look at society and government policy and cultural differences and figure out, you know, for, you know, I'm, I'm not a multiculturalist. Let's say it that way. There are superior cultures to others, not genetically based, but certainly culturally based that wind up with, with, with better options. I mean, and, and better, better outcomes. It's, there's nothing wrong with saying that a culture that prizes and incentivizes a nuclear family to stay together, incentivizes um, going to school, being educated, uh, being responsible, taking individual responsibility for ups and downs, not being a victim all the time, is superior to a culture that does uh, the, the opposite or a culture that um, objectifies women, doesn't have any problem with, um, extra, you know, uh, sex outside of marriage doesn't have any problem with illegitimacy. Doesn't have any there, there, where there's no um, there's no push for the father to stay in the home. That's an inferior culture in those ways. That's and that's not saying anything about about you know the fact that there can be wonderful cultural things across the board in in different cultures that are that are great. But those things are major. The 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 displacing of the family um, is a major problem, and it's. It's really largely what causes a lot of what we see, I would argue. Um, 
and it's purposeful. That's the sad part. It's purposeful. Uh, I don't remember who was talking about this, but it, but it made a lot of sense. If you remember back when, um, uh, when, when Marxism communism was, um, becoming the dominant, the dominant economic and a uh, governmental system in the Soviet union. And they knew, and this is, by the way, this is used by American leftist Saul Alinsky type radicals all the time that, that the way that you control people, the way that you eventually bring everybody under an authoritarian rule in this plan is you divide them against each other. And in places like the Soviet Union, the Soviet bloc, they could divide people economically, right? Marx talked about everything being class warfare in terms of um, economic standing, economic power, um, the haves and the have-nots, right? The proletariat versus, versus the bourgeoisie. That's that. That was his framework. And yet Marxists um, and those that wanted to push the same ideologies, and these are godless ideologies, by the way, ideologies that are specifically and aggressively opposed to the things of God, they knew that they couldn't do that in the United States of America. Well, why is that? Because we don't have the same economic barriers that other countries have. This is a country where people that are poor can become rich and people that are rich can become poor and people can, you know, they, they move up and down the, the economic ladder all the time. So much so that, I mean, the poor people in this country have things that the poor around the world can only dream of. Poor people in this country have cars and air conditioning. Um, you know, the, the folks that we define as poor, they still have a, a standard of living brought about by a free market system that is the envy of the world. And so these Marxists and, and socialists, they couldn't, they, they couldn't divide us based off of um, pitting economic groups against each other, but they could divide us based off of pitting ethnic groups against each other. The way that people look, their culture, the way they talk, the things they like, the, you know, the music they like, the things that they, they could pit us against each other on that. And, and we sort of set it up for them, didn't we? I mean, because, because uh, slavery was an institution in this country. Now, an institution that we fought each other to the death to help get rid of. Um, those, those, those wounds and those divides are still easily, um, they're still easily uh, attacked. You know, they're st- still easily exposed and, and, um, and, and exploited by those that want to divide us. Um, and so, so, so they're doing that instead. So if you ever, you, you wonder why, uh, why they're young blacks in this country that, um, think that everything is hopeless, that, that commit, I mean, just atrocious crimes, just things that you, you just would never think, um, that anybody should ever do. Um, think about what they're being told. Think about how they're being used. Think about how they're being manipulated um, by, by folks that would want to tear us apart, and we get a lot closer to the answer here. Think about how um, they're being exploited by politicians for their own gain. Um, that makes a big difference. Now, what, what Scott Adams is probably talking about here is, and, and what, we, what we can see around us and what we see all the time on the internet at this point, um, is a lot of um, young black kids just doing horrific things to other kids. And it's their sin. 
their sin and their sin alone, does do the pathologies surrounding them make it more or less likely that they do these things? Yes, definitely. But it's their sin alone. Um, I want to go over to, this is um, a Charlie Kirk tweet. Who most of the time I, I would agree with Charlie Kirk, of course, but um this 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 is an, an interesting thing that he said. Uh he put up here, let me put it on the big screen. Charlie Kirk tweeted out newspapers are canceling Dilbert, claiming creator Scott Adams made racist comments while discussing twenty six percent of blacks don't think it's okay to be white. Are we going to ignore the fact that 12 million blacks think it's okay to hate white people or just be outraged. Somebody noticed. Um, I, I take issue with a framework of this on, on two different levels here. Number one, this is a poll, a Rasmussen poll. And they, they didn't, it's not like they pulled the whole country. So they're just assuming from the sample size that um, 26% of blacks don't agree with the statement that it's okay to be white. That's what, you know, that's the assumption being made here. We don't know that for a fact. It's just a poll. Um, but let's go one step deeper. If someone asks you, is it okay to be white? And you're just supposed to say yes or no. And I think there are options were like, yes, no, or not sure kind of thing. But someone just says, okay, is it okay to be white? Um, how do you answer that? Well, first you have to know what they mean by being white. And so far, I haven't seen an explanation of this. Because you have in you have people in evangelical Christianity who don't think it's okay to be white who are white. And they think this because they're using a different definition. I think you'd find it hard pressed to find um any any black person. Even the people, even the kids who I mean, and, and maybe they're brainwashed by, you know. America's awful and all white people are bad more than I realize, but certainly any, anybody who is a, um, an honest, mature adult in the slightest, you're going to have a hard time. If you define white as you're of Caucasian ethnicity, you have white skin, you're genetically European, however you want to say it, you're gonna have a hard time find finding any of them to sit there and say, um, that's not okay. Like we should, you know, you should, we should get rid of you. We should exterminate you. Something like that. There's no, I, I don't believe there's any chance that one quarter of blacks in this country think that white people should be, be eliminated. I don't think that's what they're getting at here. But if you just throw out the statement, um, is it okay to be white? You have to ask them, what definition of white are you using? Because our culture has a, a genetically disconnected definition for white. White is not just the color of your skin. White is all about um, your opportunities growing up, the things you value, how you speak, um, it's, it's linked, you know, in our culture with this sort of, with this dominating patriarchal, you know, white male, you know, Protestant work ethic, all, all this kind of stuff sort of wrapped into being white. And I suspect a lot of the people that might say it's not okay to be white are using that definition. A lot of white people, if they use that definition would agree, it's not okay to be white because they're not thinking about it in terms of just genetics. So that, that's an important distinction to be made. Um, here and Charlie Kirk asks, are we going to ignore the fact that 12 million blacks thinks it's, think it's okay to hate white people? It's not really what they said here. 
they said it's not okay to be white. And again, disconnected from how they define white. That, that makes a big difference as far as I can tell. Um, we're going to, I got another couple, couple to, uh, poke out to you here. This is, this is, and I think this was part of Scott Adams point when he's, he's basically saying, Hey, um, racism, racism is okay. Like even by the, the most sort of progressive, um, you know, loving, you know, leftist, tolerant leftist out there, they're, they, they think racism is okay. We've talked about this before. So the, the left in this, in this country and in other countries, I mean, those who are of a collectivist bent, they think racism is okay. They just want it to be their racism, you know? And again, like I said before, their racism is the core of, um, how they get power. They're purposefully trying to divide people on ethnic lines because there are so many things, even if we were to say, hey, this is what white culture looks like and black culture looks like, there's so many commonalities, so many commonalities. I mean, we are all part of the same human race and largely uh, want and do and enjoy the same things. Very true. And yet there is, there is a push for collectivists, Marxists, socialists, to wedge us apart with these things. And they've been very successful in a lot of ways. These, these are just, um, these, these are just some headlines that you see all over the media of media companies wanting to do this and, and basically okaying anti-white racism. And again, there's one race, but we would say like, you know, maybe anti-white or anti-Caucasian ethnic discrimination. However you want to say it, you get, you get what I'm talking about here. This is um, just a, a collection of these things. Um, the unbearable whiteness of seeing, the unbearable whiteness of cycling, the unbearable whiteness of traveling, the unbearable whiteness of history. Stop kidding yourself. White people are racist. Discussing race in the classroom are all white people racist. Um, Joseph Harker, of course, all white people are racist. This, uh, uh, this woman up in the top right teaching that all white people are racist. Why all white people are racist, but can't handle being called racist. The theory of white fragility. Where have we heard that before? That's that, that's been a common, um, theme in, uh, liberal circles and brought into the church. Ibram X. Kendi, um, uh, what's her face? Uh, uh, Robin D'Angelo, Jamar Tisby, Dwight McKissick. This, this idea that white racism is built into the very core DNA of everything in Western culture is, is very common. And imagine you, that young black uh, kids hearing this over and over and over, everything going wrong in your life, everything going wrong in your life is the fault of white people. And not only is it the fault of white people, it's not even an overt fault of theirs. It's something they do because of their nature. It's built into the system. It's built into who they are. It's built into this, this view of whiteness that has nothing to do with their genetics, really. It's, it's, it's their original sin. Their original sin is different than your original sin. I mean, imagine being told this all the time, and then you can, you can imagine... Um, you can imagine why these kids are doing what they're doing, why they're being told 
that that white kid or that Asian kid or whoever is that they are evil by nature. I mean, why wouldn't they feel justified that this is how we get Michael Brown. This is how we get Trayvon Martin. This is how we get, um, you know, you know, you know, black guys that you, whether you want to argue, they should have been pulled over or not that act the way they do with police officers. This is, and, and connected to that, this is why we get young black police officers that see black youth the same way. It's, it, it, this is cyclical, this, this, this disease. Um, but there is a place for us to, there's a place for us to discuss the pathologies that uniquely affect certain ethnic minorities in this country and recognize the truth, statistical truth of what's going on without boiling it down to, um, without boiling it down to just our genetic differences. And because our genetic differences are not that different, our cultural differences are different, unfortunately. Um, the, the manipulation of the American people based off of their skin color shows no signs of stopping. Um, yeah, I see Joshua saying these, these titles are so blankety racist. It makes me believe the poll might actually mean that it's okay not to have white skin. Exactly. Like who, who would know? I mean, if Rasmussen asks, is it okay to be white without defining it, you're going to get bad data. And of course, and this is something that I don't think we're going to have time to dig into on this program, maybe on the PTVIP, we will see. Um, but the confusion is, as far as I'm concerned, when we see these kind of things online is like, how common is this, number one? Because it's really hard to 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 tell online the scale of anything, how how likely anything is to be happening in a community, um, but also the fact that it winds up online. Does that encourage more of it? Probably does. Um, let's see if I have any more notes um, about this. I had a um, an ERLC conversation pulled up about this where it's, and let me see, uh, this gentleman, um, the John Nelson, I believe his name. Yeah, this is, this is, this was a conversation and we're not gonna have time to go through the whole thing for sure, but this is a conversation. Uh, this was tweeted out yesterday by the ERLC. If saying, if we as Southern Baptists can be willing to listen and have a good conversation about race, we will see fruit that will draw us closer together with watching an interview with, uh, uh, John Nelson, um, past president of the Missouri Baptist, uh, convention. But again, the framework is, is unbiblical automatically. It's automatically unbiblical. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach separate races of people. It just doesn't. And so, we, I mean, we ask ourselves, okay, so what causes the ethnic differences that are apparent? What causes African-American men to have largely deeper voices in a lot of ways? What, you know, what causes their skin to be a darker shade? What causes their hair to be different? Um, what causes somebody like me to have you know, issues with acne that maybe other people of other genetic um, uh, lineage wouldn't have? You know, there, there are theories about it. I mean, you know, a lot of folks say that when God separated the languages of the Tower of Babel, he also created 
um, a variety of ethnicities. I think that's possible. Um, I think it's also possible that there's genetic reinforcements. Like my neighbors are, um, my neighbors are huge people. Like my next door neighbors, large, you know, Catholic family, tons of kids. Um, mom and dad are big people. Their kids are bigger than they are. I had a lot of kids and those kids are big. They're all big. I mean, I'm not a small guy and they're all bigger than me. Um, there is, there is genetic reinforcement that over generations is going to cause trends for sure in regional trends. I think that's a big part of it, but ultimately in terms of our moral culpability and certainly, you know, our relationship as believers, that stuff is not, that stuff is not important. I think it's important that we recognize and we understand what it is, but it's not important to the way that we, um, approach morality. Um, and when we look at the, the, the social difficulties of, um, when we look at the social difficulties of places like Memphis, Tennessee, Baltimore, Maryland, places with largely African-American populations that have huge crime problems and drug problems and all, and all these other just social ills. And we notice the correlation of, Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of black folks in here. Um, saying something like, well, it's because they're black is stupid. And while Scott Adams didn't directly say that, he certainly insinuated it. Um, when you say something like white people need to get the blank away from black people, um, that's not even a facially defensible statement. Um, even if we kind of know what you're getting at, it's not helpful to the conversation. And certainly as believers, that's not the way that we are, we're supposed to approach uh, these kind of issues about ethnicity. We can be smarter than that. We can open up the Bible. We can work through it. Um, and we can just be honest. We can just be honest because it is, it is um, entirely honest to say that there are things about black culture in America, the pre- you know, predominant black culture in America that are doing black people wrong, that are, that are damaging black families. There's nothing wrong with saying that. And yeah, um, you know, have, have, uh, you know, their, their forefathers, their, their ancestors, um, you know, their great grandparents and great, great, great grandparents, um, suffered in different ways and, and, and more significantly than mine. Yes. Yeah, they have totally would. And point being what that, that somehow that the recipe for, um, being obedient to God and leading your family and, you know, doing the right thing is somehow different. It's not. God doesn't have different standards for, for different ethnic groups. He doesn't have, um, you know, we, we don't, um, we don't work out morality collectively. And you, and you hear this stuff all the time in evangelical circles, collective repentance. And we saw Israel, you know, collectively held, held responsible for things and, and whatnot. No, when, when, when Israel and when a collection of people is held collectively responsible for something, it's because they all have skin in the game. They're all responsible for it. That's not how we actually um, should be looking at morality. Like the individuals that are in these videos beaten up, people are singularly responsible for what they've done. They have nobody else to blame but themselves. And and I would argue their parents, their parents um, or parent in some cases um, has responsibility for this as well. And honestly, our governments and our criminal justice system at this point has a lot of responsibility because it's been leveraged for political reasons and it lets people get away with this stuff. You know, why, 
why did people assume that, that Michael Brown said, hands up, don't shoot. And they ran with that narrative for a long time. Mainstream publications, hands up, don't shoot, hands up, don't shoot. Well, because that fit their desired narrative, right? Their desired narrative was, was killer cops targeting black, black kids. And then it turned out to be a total lie and a total untruth, but people had no problem pushing that lie. Michael Brown had no problem um, assaulting a police officer and trying to take his weapon and kill him with it. He had no problem with that. You know, he has been, um, he, he, he was lionized up until it turned out that he was a big liar. And then they just sort of moved on because the narrative was still important. This, this kind of stuff does no favors for any families in the country. Does no favors for black families. Rather as Christians, we need to be preaching the truth of God's word in its entirety to everybody. Because this, the, you know, first and foremost, of course, is salvation in Jesus Christ. First and foremost is preaching the gospel. Um, but we also have a responsibility to promote and, and teach God's law. And that doesn't change based off of somebody's um, ethnic background. It doesn't change based on their skin color. It doesn't change based off their culture, based off of where they live in the country. The solutions are the same. God's right and wrong is the same. Um, and to the extent that we run across a non-Christian like Scott Adams pointing this out, I would argue we don't, we don't need to be supporting him personally for saying what he said. We should be correcting it. We should be saying, Hey, yeah, this there, there's a problem here that he may be rightly identifying, but we don't need to, we don't need to be simplistic about it and try to tie it to people's genetics. And he, he probably, probably argue he's not doing that, but he needs to be careful with the rhetoric. If he actually, he actually wants to get the point across. And certainly we as believers, our rhetoric starts with the word of God every time. And we'll go back to it every time uh, without fail, without apology. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm be following this a little bit more closely. We may be writing an article about it at the, on the website. I don't know um, necessarily if I will have the, the time to do that, but it is an interesting topic. And the most important thing, like I said, is we analyze all this stuff biblically. And crimes should be punished equally across the board. There is, you know. Um, there should be no assumption that or, or treatment of somebody differently or more lightly because they happen to be of a certain ethnicity. That's racism, by the way. You want to you talk about our country being racist? That's racism. That's institutional racism. You know, that, um, treating people differently based off of their ethnicity as far as the judicial system, and that happens all the time. Affirmative action is racism, institutional racism. In fact, I think Scott Adams said, use that as an example of, well, you know, all these people calling me a racist now, they're racist all the time. And they, and they, they support their racism. They think that's okay, but somehow I can't, you know, my, mine is, mine is terrible. But anyway, um, thank you so much for joining me for the conversation, everybody. I appreciate it. Um, stick around for the PT VIP. If you're a patron, that link is in Patreon to that uh, YouTube stream. I will flip this over and meet you on the other side. And we'll talk about a couple of other things that have been going on on the other side of the break for everybody else. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we, we love you. We appreciate it. Stay tuned to protestia.com. And as always, Semper Reformando. Semper Reformando.